Welcome to Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm Renee Beery, a luxury interior designer and construction expert. Educated at the New York School of Interior Design and employed by AD Top 100 firms, I have created a niche expertise in managing large-scale construction projects from renovations to new builds over the past three decades. Today, I'm on a mission to instill confidence in designers through this podcast and my online course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. Whether you are new to construction management or a seasoned designer like me, I am all about transparency and tactical advice for fellow designers. On this podcast, I share actionable steps, practical tips, real-life examples, and behind-the-scenes tricks that I use while managing construction projects. Not only will they keep them on schedule and on budget, but will give you the confidence to know that these projects will end successfully, protecting your profit as well as leading to a pipeline full of incredible referrals. If you've been searching for support and advice on construction management to grow your skills and confidence so you can avoid the mistakes that I've made in the past, then you're in the right place. Before we get started, I want to thank each of you for being a part of this community. Your listens, subscribes, and reviews are what allows me to make this show great week after week. I've got lots of plans for growing this podcast, and that's enabled by you. Make sure to follow the podcast so that you get notifications of new episodes so you don't miss a thing. If you enjoy this episode, spread the word. Leave a review and tell your interior design friends how much they can learn from this show. Recently, I've been talking about interior designers' superpowers on job sites. And today, I want to talk about a really practical one and why it is critical for you to be involved on your projects very early on in the game, long before you're specifying the decorative items. Today, we're going to jump into the topic of lighting. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. If you've been listening for a few weeks, you know that I want to reinforce for the designers listening that we have superpowers that make us an integral and critical component on the success of any construction project. This podcast, these episodes, are meant to reinforce to you why you need to be advocating for your client to be a part of these projects as early as possible. Now, some of the superpowers we've discussed so far are in the budgeting and scheduling sides of things. Of course, we know what things cost and we know how to guide our clients appropriately to stay within budgets. We know how to meet schedules and deadlines. It's what we do best, frankly but also our ability to see how people live and truly flow through spaces and what will support their needs most. Not necessarily what is common, but what is unique to the client you are working on. So you're elevating their project to the custom level that they were seeking by hiring you. So today I want to talk about another superpower we have that is often a slight afterthought with the drawings that clients are presented and why it really is important for you to be on these projects early, early, early in the game so that you can affect some changes that are simply lines on a drawing and cost next to nothing to change rather than trying to change it during the construction itself, 
possibly looking at change orders and or a client saying no, because it's just an expense they don't want to take on. So what am I talking about? It's lighting. It's how we light the spaces our clients will live in. So if you are doing a large renovation or a new build, you will be looking at drawings prepared by an architect. And of course, this drawing set will include lighting plans or reflected ceilings or some sort of combination to illustrate the lighting that the architect is suggesting. Now, a better description of what is shown on these drawings is the lighting will meet code and possibly go to the next step of their personal suggestions for the spaces. Okay, code must be met. We all know that. And please look them up in your area if you aren't familiar with them, because they must be met for life safety issues, as well as to get a permit and to pass your electrical inspections. So then it's the second part I want to talk about, and that is the suggestions by the architect. And frankly, everything we present to clients is a suggestion, right? It doesn't mean that there isn't two or three or four or countless ways to achieve the same goal. And so that's where your role comes in. Because frankly, I believe interior designers are better suited to work out lighting plans for their clients. It goes back to the last time we talked about superpowers and understanding how a client uses a space. We tend to dig in to that really granular part of the project of who's going to be in this room. What are they going to be doing in this room? And when during the day do you want to use the space? And of course, the answers to that can be a mile long. There might be various people using it during various times of day to do various different tasks. This is all critical information. And the earlier you understand how these spaces will be used, the better the lighting solutions will be. It's that simple. Now, I don't see and have never been a part of a review that deep with an architect and a client of mine. Maybe it's because I was involved and they thought I would take that on. I'm not sure. But frankly, I have never sat through a meeting where the architect goes through that kind of detailed information. Now, don't get me wrong. And again, I don't mean to talk negatively about architects. They do ask questions. They absolutely do. But I find that their program is more geared to fitting the pieces into this puzzle as opposed to the level of detail that designers tend to go to once those rooms are established. And so lighting can take on a gazillion different forms, right? From overhead to sconces, to table lamps, to task lighting, to mood lighting. It it really is endless as well as ever-changing. And I will be the first to say I am not an expert on the latest and greatest lighting advances. However, I surround myself with electricians as well as showrooms who are, and I lean on them when I feel my knowledge has hit its limit. And that's honestly what they're for and why you need to establish the relationships I'm constantly talking about with people like this so that they become an extension of your office and therefore elevating your knowledge, allowing you to elevate your client's project. I mean, it is a win-win-win all around. So what do I mean by interior designers look at lighting differently? 
the reality is, like I just said, we can understand the use of a space. And if you aren't sure, yes, you go through the list of questions. Keeping in mind, I found with new builds or very large renovations, there are times where a homeowner thinks they will use a space a certain way. And then once they're in it, that usage does change. So there's an important role for you to play different scenarios, poke holes in their ideas. Okay, you think you're going to use this room for this purpose. And you're as a designer thinking, well, maybe, I don't know, I think the kids might use this space too. And maybe that's where they're going to hang out for homework. And, you know, this is the kind of dialogue you should be having. You should never be afraid to offer your own opinions. Now, the client could say, nope, I don't see it and pretty much stand firm on that. That's okay. But you've gone down that path. You've allowed the client to think about it. And in fact, I've had clients call me the next day, the next week and say, you know what? I really did think about it. And I noticed the kids over the weekend did X, Y, or Z. And it does lead me to believe, God, I think they will use that space that way. All right, let's incorporate task lighting because it's going to be a homework space. And frankly, if it doesn't become that homework space, no harm, no foul, it may evolve into that. But the lighting is there to support a future use. Because I find there's nothing more maddening than needing light in a space and not being able to do it. It just drives me batty because I know how easy it is to avoid that situation by just giving it a little more thought, a little more probing, a little more question and answer with your client to get those answers, to get them thinking about those specific spaces. I find that clients really are more hung up in the furniture they're going to have or the architectural details that they're incorporating in the room and the flow and the frankly the parties they're going to have and the day-to-day elevation of their life they're not always sitting there thinking where do I want a lamp right and that's where you come in showing your expertise and your experience knowing the value that proper lighting does to a space and the quality of life that can be done in the spaces that you are lighting properly Now, you may be nodding, thinking to yourself, yep, 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 I got that, Renee, in kitchens. Yes, I'm constantly looking at, you know, the lighting plan that the architect is coming up with or in a bathroom. Okay, I want sconces. I want, you know, lights facing out. And maybe I need a mag mirror for makeup application. Yes, I'll admit, kitchen and bathroom lighting has been such a great topic and has a lot of focus on it because they are such task-oriented rooms that I find there's a tendency to ignore all the other rooms. But yet we live in those other rooms and we use them very individually depending on the time of year, the dynamic of the family, ways we entertain. And so I want that same focus to be used in these other spaces. Now, it may not take as much lighting or different types of lighting to improve the lighting of a living room, let's say. But can we elevate it? Do they celebrate Christmas? Are they going to put their tree in the living room? Okay. Yes, they have dreams of it to be left of the fireplace in front of the bookcases. Is there an outlet? Is it halfway across the room and they're going to have to use an extension cord. I mean, nothing drives me crazier than having a client spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on an addition or a new build and then need an extension cord. I mean, there's no way to hide an extension cord and it's avoidable. 
have these conversations. Let's put a floor outlet in, or can we put another outlet closer to where we've identified will be the place for the Christmas tree? That way, every year, I bet you a million dollars, when they plug that tree in discreetly, they're going to think of you. They're going to be happy that you thought this through, asked them the pertinent questions, and got them this elevated custom result that they can use even if it is once a year. Now, some personal experiences. We finished a new build. It was a beautiful space. We did do the Christmas tree question and answer. There's a wonderful floor outlet for their Christmas tree. We put another floor outlet on the other side of the room so that the floating furniture layout has table lamps. But guess what happened? During COVID, one of their children started using the living room to Zoom into school. Now, there was a table lamp, but that was by no means task lighting for daily use of a laptop and note-taking, etc. Now, obviously, none of us could have predicted COVID, nor the impact it would have on our schools and that our children would be home and the needs would be flipped upside down. But the beauty was there was a floor outlet. We could change the lamp, get more lighting, awkwardly so. Definitely not in a pretty fashion, definitely didn't support the rest of the decor, but that child could be supported to do what they wanted to do in the space they wanted to use. And so I would love to say that we foresaw that and put that floor outlet in behind the sofa that she wanted to sit on, but the fact that we had enough options in that room gave her the ability to make changes to support the needs of that year. Another area that I think gets lost is kitchen islands. Now, I know we just talked about the fact that kitchen lighting has become a mainstream topic, lots and lots of information on how to best light a space, but I still see light lacking over kitchen islands. Now, I also have seen the evolution of kitchen islands go from an additional workspace to a homework center for kids sitting on more comfortable stools. But regardless of the usage, it's the lack of lighting because we as designers are so focused on a decorative pendant and what will really make that room sing and stand out and reflect our clients' personalities. Doesn't always mean that there's a lot of light emanating from these pendants. More often than not, it's lacking much light other than ambient light, which, don't get me wrong, is beautiful. And so for a lot of my clients, we will put in recessed lighting in between where the pendants are so that they have the option of both. We will switch them separately so that if they are just entertaining or having a nice evening in the kitchen and they've got friends standing around with wine while they're cooking, sure, turn off the recessed lights and have that beautiful glow from the pendants. But if it's late fall or winter and the kids are trying to do homework, turn on both. That way there is proper lighting to support all their needs throughout all the months and the different usages. And while some of this is coming from experience and trial and error and seeing that pendant lighting wasn't working for my client's kids' homework and we added recess lights, it's now part of my Q&A when I'm discussing how they use the spaces and what we can do in order to light them appropriately. And the cheapest way to elevate 
All of this lighting is to do it in the very beginning when it's simply lines on drawings. This is long before you pick out the fixtures themselves. This is long before the electrical rough-ins are happening and why it is so important for you to communicate the value you can bring to this project if they bring you on early enough. Now, I just explained that in the past, I have added recessed lights in between pendants. Yes, it is possible to go back in and do certain components of this. But please note, you're adding additional costs. There's going to be drywall repair. There's going to be paint touch-ups. All of that wouldn't happen if this was done when we were in the construction stage of it. We would simply be adding in more electric. So a little more labor, but nothing beyond the work around the electric. Additionally, it allows you to control the switching plan more if it's done together as one unit. Now, if you've been around long enough, you have heard me admit that I geek out over switching plans and it is it is really my jam. It is something that I absolutely love to do. And I encourage all of you, if you haven't taken a deep dive into a switching plan, you are missing out on some serious fun. I'm not kidding. I mean, really, it is actually fun. Because like I said before, there are maddening things when you're living in a home. And one is wanting to turn a light on or off from a certain spot and there's no switch. And I know you've been there. It could be in an office you've worked in or a hotel or a friend's house or your parents' house or your own house. Nothing more maddening than not being able to turn a light on or off exactly where you want to do it especially for our clients who have hired all of these professionals, right? They've done their due diligence. They've called their references. They feel they have hired the most professional people they know and can afford. So having all those people on their team, and then at the end, they can't turn a light off at a certain spot. Wow, we have not done our jobs. And if we have done this lighting review and really taken a deep dive into how these spaces are going to be used and what lighting will be required in order to support them, and then you have to come in and add supplementary lighting, you can't always tie it in to the original switching plan. So chicken and egg, yes, you need to do the lighting plan first and the switching plan second. And so for those of you who haven't heard me talk about switching plans, really is a superpower an interior designer can offer to a client. It really is. It is amazing when I sit down and I think, what are our superpowers? The list keeps going on and on and on. I have never seen an architect review a switching plan with a client. I certainly have never had one do a walkthrough, which is what I always insist on. And I say insist and not recommend because I used to recommend it and clients would say, oh, no, no, I think it's good. Yeah, I see it. The the, the little dollar sign on the plan, Renee. Yeah, that's the light switch, right? Yeah. Okay, I get it. Yeah, it's not a dollar sign, although they all think it is. But years ago, I would allow them to say no thank you. And inevitably, something would happen. They would be complaining the next time I'm there, finishing up the furnishings. They'd say, oh, yeah, gosh, Renee, I really wish there was a light switch across the room. And I would look at them and say, yeah, there could have been. No, I never had the balls to say that, but that's what I was thinking in my head. Now I insist on it. And if I get some pushback, I will tell them these stories. And all they have to hear is I've had 
client regret taking this step? And honestly, it's, I don't know, an hour, maybe two, if it's a really big project, it's not so all consuming that it's something that they think, oh no, I should, you know, I should skip this step, you know, save the time and, and apply it somewhere else. That is a mistake. And you need to impress upon your clients that it is a mistake that they don't want to make. And honestly, at the end, they're the only ones that will regret it. I don't regret that they have to cross the room and turn on a light switch because they wouldn't do a switching review with me. They do. I'm not there doing it. And so you see, when I hear people say, why do I need an interior designer? Or a contractor will say, I'll call you when I need furnishings. Or an architect says, I've got this covered. Yes, they do have it covered. But to me and to my clients, the collaboration of experts in one room takes any project to an entirely new level of custom. And I have yet to have a client say, no, I'm not looking for that. No, I'm good. I'm good with semi-custom. Yeah, this is what I want, Renee. Appreciate knowing about the custom level you could take us to. I'm good. Yeah, I mean, really think about that, the absurdity of that. The amount of money they're investing and someone saying, yeah, I'm good with good enough. (laughs) I mean, I guess it would be nice if some of the clients did. It would kind of give us a break. We'd say no thank you to that project and move on because your time is best served with the clients who want that level of expertise that they sought you out for. And so I'm tying all this together, right? It is exhausting trying to prove your worth that we talked about in a previous episode. I get that. I feel you. Every time I have to do it, and luckily it's not every time, but the times I do have to do it, I think back on the merry-go-round, Renee, you'll do it. There is a way. There's always a path forward, but it is exhausting. And then knowing how people live in their homes. I just can't state that enough. We truly, as an interior design industry, know and appreciate how people live in their homes when they're wearing bathrobes, when they're wearing their slippers, what spaces they have to go through. Do we need window treatments on those spaces because they have privacy issues, right? These are things we don't give ourselves enough credit for, and I'm here to give you that credit. And these are the things you need to be communicating to your client. Now I mentioned, do they need window coverings? Okay, guess what? You probably have an idea what type of window treatments you're going to use, whether it's a shade and you want to inside mount it. Will that window casing support an inside mount, right? These are the things that should be churning through your head. And if you're on the project early enough, you can be telling the contractor, hey, Bob, I'm going to be putting window treatments on this window because I know they're going to need privacy in the morning when they're going down in their bathrobe to get their cup of coffee. He's not thinking that. I can guarantee you, bless Bob's heart, he is not thinking about that. Nor, more often than not, is the architect. It's why our clients have us. And so you may be thinking, oh my God, I've got all these superpowers, Renee. I can't keep track of them all. And how do I figure them all out? And how do I improve them? And how do I build the skills and the knowledge that I keep talking about? And that is where the course comes in. And to all of my loyal listeners and those on my email list, getting my weekly emails. I could not do this without your support and your interaction with me and your input and your insanely great questions that prompt me to do more episodes on those topics. But the reality is this is a complex 
niche inside our industry. And there are an inordinate amount of steps and skills required to do this work successfully. And maybe I don't describe success well enough. I don't mean a pretty project at the end. To me, that is assumed. I am assuming at the end your project is pretty. And I am assuming at the end that you've delivered the design intent you started with. But for me and for you, success is also a business matter. It is, did you make money? Did you avoid expensive mistakes? Did you end successfully enough that the team you're working with wants you on their next project? Did you end successfully enough that your client wants to recommend you to all of their friends and colleagues and coworkers or anyone they can get their hands on? To me, that is success. And it's only done if you know the step stages and have the skills to run a project smoothly, avoiding those costly mistakes at all costs, building the relationship in the team, showing and proving your value every step of the way, and communicating with your client the different stages that they will go through with transparent and consistent communication. And while I will hit on all of those various topics, but the only way to get that direct through line, the logical steps from start to finish is inside the course I built, the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. Without the self-paced sequential lessons, you will be left trying to figure all of that out on your own through the podcast material and the email content. When I built this course, I wanted to give you a faster way to go through the learning curve and start managing these projects in the successful way that is meaningful to your business. And so if you've been on my email list, you've just survived another round of me highlighting the course. Yes, those of you on the list will periodically be sent more emails over a condensed period of time, highlighting the individual lessons and value of joining the course. The good news is sprinkled throughout every email is more valuable content because I'm always thinking, how can I elevate a designer's day today? So today I want to elevate your ability to go in and add value to a lighting plan for your clients. And if you want even more information on how to do that, it's inside the course. I would welcome you to join this dynamic group of designers inside the course, learning the steps and skills. And the beauty of it is they're also supporting each other in the community channel included in the course. It is so fulfilling to see other designers in the course answering the designer's question. Because in the beginning, I thought, well, I guess I'll be the one answering the questions. And and I'm happy to, actually. I enjoy that. But then the designers start chiming in with their own ideas, their own experiences, their own input. And it is so humbling to see this community come together on this one specific topic, knowing that we are better together. So if today's episode leaves you with more questions than answers, I am always available and here to help. You can DM me in social media or send me an email. And as always, I thank you for your time today, and I look forward to our next time together. Thank you for listening, and I hope you heard something that you can apply to a project today. 
If you're ready to increase your construction projects in your business, check out the details on my signature course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. It's a six-part digital course that will save you a three-year learning curve, get you profitable, bring in an income and lifestyle that makes sense for you by learning the top strategies, what works and what doesn't, building your confidence so you're no longer paddling to stay afloat or worse, learning how to manage construction on a client's project. Through the course, I'm handing over 30 years of top strategies and advice. Head to my website, devinyedesign.com, for more details on the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management and become educated and empowered for your next construction project.